was Acts chapter 13. Uh, and verse 13, and I asked uh, last night in that email, I asked you to think about a question as you were reading through. If you chose to read through those verses ahead of time, I asked you to think about this question. Who or what is most central in your life? Who or it could be a what is most central in your life? Because we're going to be looking at some verses, and, and as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen a couple of the key characters give sermons. This morning's going to be a sermon on a sermon. How do you like that? Right? And, and, and so um, this morning, this is Paul, though. So we've been tracking Paul the last couple of weeks, and we, we know how Paul has been changed drastically by the grace of God when God revealed himself to Paul on the road when he was going to go persecute Christians. And so I'm just going to take a moment and plug that as well. If anyone is in here today and they think, but God can't have a place for me, you need to look up Paul, who was known as Saul up until this point. Zealous, religious knew the Old Testament scriptures back and forth, was an example to people of how you should live and relate to God. He was a moral person. And yet in his zeal for the Lord, he went so far as to kill Christians, followers of Jesus, because he saw that as an affront on his beliefs, the Jewish religion at that point. And you would think as you're watching Paul, as Saul go across doing all these things to question your thing, and this guy's going to get what's coming to him. God's going to strike him one day. And instead, God reveals Christ to him, the very one he's been persecuting. And he says, now you're going to do what I have called you to do. If you think you're beyond God's mercy, you need to know Paul. Because if anyone is beyond God's mercy, it would have been him. And yet, in several places in his letters to other churches, he would say, and I was the chief sinner, the first, the primary, the worst. But God, there's always a but God. And so Paul is writing, uh, and Luke, Luke is writing, and, and he captures now the first sermon that we see of Paul as he is traveling on this journey. And we, we saw last week that him and Barnabas had set out. And so that's where we're picking up this week. They're continuing on that journey. And so we're not even going to actually start with, with uh, verse 13. I'm going to jump us in, and we're going to start with, I believe it's verse 16. But here's what I want you to see first as we look at these first few verses. God is central in our history. Another way to say that is, He's central in his purpose. So let's take a look. So Paul starts telling this sermon to to all these people. And here's the beginning of his sermon. He says, men of Israel and you Gentiles who fear God. So he's talking to a group of people who are Jewish, who are still worshiping according to the Jewish system, and some non-Jewish people who have converted to worship as Jews. Okay, so they're all worshiping according to the Old Testament. They're still gathering in synagogues. And so he's there in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's been invited to speak. And he says, men of Israel and you Gentiles who fear God, listen. And what I'm going to do as we go through this sermon is I just want you to see how Paul thinks. How central God is in Paul's thinking. As you think about this question, what or who is most central in my life? Let's look at how central God is as Paul speaks. He says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay as foreigners in the country of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. So Paul's there for a minute. The history of Israel in a nutshell is that they were nobody. They were not even existent, and God chose, based on his own purposes, his own good pleasures, a man named Abram. 
And to Abram made a promise, changed his name to Abraham because he was going to be the father of many nations. And from him, this Jewish nation came about from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob. And God chose to work with that group of people in a unique way and through them to bless the entire world. And God would remind his people as he was leading them out of, out of slavery in Egypt. In the book of Deuteronomy, many times he would remind them, look, I didn't choose you because you were mighty. You weren't a great, strong nation. I didn't choose you because you were impressive. I didn't choose you for any of those reasons. I chose you because of my own purposes. And Paul starts there. He says it was the God of this people. Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people great. It was God who grew them into the nation that they became while they were in Egypt. And it was God who led them out of Egypt. They didn't deliver themselves. God led them out by the hands of Moses. Verse 18, he goes on, he says, for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. It was God, by the way, who put up with them. Verse 19, and after he had destroyed seven nations, it was God who went ahead of them and destroyed those nations, enabled them to, to do that. In the land of Canaan, he gave his people their land. It was God who gave the people the land. It was God who made the way for them. Verse 20, all... This took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges. So as Paul is thinking through the history of his people, the history of Israel, he's seeing God at the center of it all. And he's now moved on. He's, he's brought them out of Egypt. It was God who did that. It was God who got them into the land. And then the history of Israel continues that while they were in the land, God would raise up judges for them. If you've been around for a couple years, you might remember going through the book of Judges. But judges were a, a deliverer that God would raise up for his people from sometimes among his people, sometimes not. And that, that deliverer would then free them from captivity from whoever was enslaving them. And there was a cycle, if you remember the book of Judges. And Paul is saying, God's the one who raised up those judges. God was at the center of that, preserving his people. After this, he gave them judges. In verse 21, then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. See, at, at some point, the, 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 the nation of Israel looked around them and they saw all these other people and they said, they have kings who rule them. You see, they had a very unique relationship where God was their king. God was ruling them directly. It was a theocracy, not a monarchy. It was a theocracy where God was ruling them, but they didn't like that. They wanted to be like everyone else around them. As they considered who they were and where they were going, they too wanted a king. So they were asking for a king. And so God is the one who gave them the king. Paul reminds them of this. God is central in history. He's central in his purpose. And I want to pause just a moment and ask you, when you think about who or what is most central in your life, when you think about your history, when you think about your past, when you think about your life, when you think about all that you've experienced, is God central? And, and I don't mean like, have you always been a believer? Have you walked with God for many, many years? I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about even when you walked away from him. Even when you chose to rebel against the very God who purchased your salvation. Do you look back on that and see God at the center of that? Working to accomplish his purposes regardless of what you're choosing to do? Moving things forward for his own purpose? God is central 
to his purpose. Another way to say that is he's faithful to his purpose. See, sometimes we get this reversed and we think that I'm the center. Right? And, and, and as I think about people in general, just, just my understanding of the scripture is that we're not good. Right? We are impacted by sin. Every one of us have been impacted by sin, corrupted to our core. And so because of that, even in the, the, our attempts to be good apart from Christ and apart from the enabling of the Spirit, we are tainted by sin. Our motives are selfish. They're prideful. Even things that we would judge as good standing before God, they fall short of His glory. And so to think about then me being at the center of all things just ties in to that corruption. Why would I be at the center of God's purpose? Why would I be the one that everything else revolves around? And maybe when you think about your history, you have that lens that you're thinking through that's not a God-centered lens, but a me-centered lens. And you think about you being a victim, and you think about you being, being taken advantage of. And listen, I'm not trying to minimize that kind of stuff. Some of you have been legitimately hurt at the hands of people who are operating in sin, at the hands of evil. Some of you have been legitimately hurt by that. And you were victimized. But there is a difference in the mentality that comes, that victim mentality that we can sometimes settle in even if we've never been hurt at the hands of someone else where we think, it's all about me and this has happened to me and so therefore I can't do this or I'm not who I could have been because if I would have had the right parents, if I would have grown in the right family, if I would have gone to the right school, gotten the right job, if I wouldn't have made that one mistake. Do you look at all that stuff through a God-centered lens? Asking the question, God, what were you doing in that? What, were, you, were you working something there? Even when I chose to walk away from you, God, were you working in that? Because he was. And he does. God is central in history and he's central in his purpose. We keep going in Paul's sermon, verse 22. We're going to start seeing that not only is God central in history, his purpose, he's central in the gospel, his promise. God is at the center of the gospel. He's at the center of his promise. And here's... Why we see that unpacked. Verse 22, he says, after removing, continuing on with the history, after removing him, Saul, so remember, God was the one who raised up Saul. God was the one who removed Saul when Saul was disobedient to him. God raised up David, their king. He testified about him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my, own, my heart who will accomplish everything I want him to do. David was going to accomplish everything God wanted him to do. And David also did some things that he wanted to do. And if you know the story of David, think about where that got him. Verse 23, from the descendants of this man, from David, God brought to Israel a Savior. God brought the Savior, which is Jesus, just as he promised. God is central in his promise. He's central about bringing it about. He's central in raising up Jesus to be that Savior. We go on, verse 26. Brothers, descendants of Abraham's family and those Gentiles among you who fear God, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. God is the one who has sent the message. God is the one who raised up the Savior, sent the Savior so that the Savior could die on behalf of sinners, so that the Savior could raise, so that the message 
could be sent. God is central. Verse 27, For the people who live in Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him, and they fulfilled the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath by condemning him. And so Paul's now starting to, to take his sermon in a direction. After he's talked about how God raised up Jesus, he now, talking to this Jewish crowd, reminds them, hey, the very people whom God raised the Savior up from. Jesus was Jewish in his birth. He was born in the midst of a culture. He was Jewish in his birth. The Jewish people's Savior came from them. And yet he's going to go on and explain that the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they didn't recognize him. And so they handed him over. And they condemned him so that he would be put to death because they were threatened by him. They didn't recognize him as, as who he was, as God's Savior, as the Messiah, as the promised one. They didn't recognize that, so they had him put to death. Jump with me to verse 28. Though they found no basis for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. I mean, we read over that, but listen, that's corruption. There was nothing pinning on this man. There was nothing to pin on him. There was no guilt that he bore. No one could legitimately come and point a finger at him. They knew that, and so they rigged it to where it would be on Pilate, and they pressured this Roman official to put him to death so that they wouldn't directly be the ones doing it because they knew they couldn't do it according to their law. They found nothing in him. Verse 29, when they had accomplished everything that was written about him, and just think about that. The people who handed Jesus over to be condemned accomplished everything that was written about Jesus. They were being used by God to accomplish what had already been written about the Savior. You ever thought about that? Peter hit on that same thing in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 and 3. That it was according to God's foreordained plan. It was already planned out long before all creation that God had planned out Jesus to come, to suffer, and die in the place of sinful people that he might be the substitute and savior. And yet, God still holds them guilty. God is central in his promise. He's bringing it about. But there's this tension in the scriptures that we've talked about before that we cannot reconcile, where God works all things according to his purpose and plan, and yet we are somehow involved in that as well. And when we reject God, we're held accountable for that. We are held guilty for that. And so these people that he's talking about in verse 29, when they had accomplished everything that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had accompanied him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are now his witnesses to the people. So Paul's saying, look, we're all standing before you. You've heard about this perhaps. You know some of these other guys like Peter and Matthew and these other guys that kind of were closely following Jesus. We call them the apostles now. And remember at the beginning of Acts, Jesus had said to him, stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. You will point others to me and you will do it in my power. God is central. He's central in history. He's central in his purpose. He's central in the gospel. He brought it about. He accomplished what needed to be accomplished. It's all on him. He's central to his promise. 
Verse 32, we keep going. And we proclaim to you the good news about the promise to our ancestors, that this promise God has fulfilled to us. He said, so God made promises to Abraham. That's now being fulfilled today. In your living, he's saying, God's promises to our fathers, our ancestors, he's now fulfilling today their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. And so Paul's going to use some Old Testament scriptures and he's going to say, look, this is where God talked about it. Look, this is where God talked about it. And he's, he's supporting his, his conclusions by showing these Jewish people it's always been written this way. So he starts in Psalm 2. He says in Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have fathered you. Paul's saying that's been accomplished in Jesus being raised from the dead. Verse 34, but, according, uh, but regarding the fact that he, God, raised him from the dead, never again to be in state of decay, God has spoken in this way. So now he's going to quote another Old Testament scripture. I will give you the holy and trustworthy promises made to David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, so now we're talking about the third Old Testament scripture, you will not permit your Holy One to experience decay. God has been working this plan long before creation. God is central to his promises. Verse 36, for David, after he had served God's purpose, again, who is David's, whose purpose is David serving? God raised him up to be the king. He's, God said, I'm, he's going to accomplish all that I have for him to accomplish. After David had done that, in his own generation, he died. He was buried. His ancestors, and he experienced decay, but the one whom God raised up did not experience decay. And here's what Paul's doing. He's saying, look, our greatest king, David, he died, and he stayed dead. His body decayed. But this one, that, that this Savior that, G, uh, that God has brought, Jesus, who is from the family of David, he died. And he didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. And God raising him from the dead is God acting to fulfill his promises that he has spoken about for all these years that these people had not realized yet. That the people who condemned him did not see God is central to his promise. And he's central in our salvation, which is his provision. God is central in history. He, he does things for his purpose. God is central in the gospel. He, he is the one who brings about his promise to fulfillment. He acts to ensure that it will take place. And he's central in our salvation. His provision for us through Christ. He says in verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through this one forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by this one, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which the law of Moses could not justify you. Pause there for a minute. The one who God raised up, Jesus, is the only one through whom forgiveness of sins can be found. God is central in his promise. He raised Jesus up, and he's central in his provision of that promise, the salvation, because salvation only comes through the one God raised up. And he says, through him, we have justification. Now, that's a word that uh, is a legal term. We've talked about it from time to time, but that legal term means if I'm standing before a judge, I'm guilty in standing before that judge. Okay, I've committed the crime, and yet the judge, when he hands down his verdict, declares me as innocent, even though I'm guilty. 
Now, he doesn't declare me as innocent because he's just going to overlook my crime. No, but the crime has to be punished. There has to be restitution for that crime. Someone else took that restitution. The, the, the law has been satisfied. And so the judge looks at me and says, you're justified. I'm going to declare you innocent. And that's what God does for us in Christ. As our sins are forgiven when we believe in Christ, we, guilty because of sin, corrupt it to our core from the day that we are born. No one escapes that. No one escapes that. And no one of us can climb out of that on our own. You and I cannot be good enough, cannot earn God's favor, cannot impress God apart from God's Spirit, making us new, taking someone who because of sin is spiritually dead before God. And that Spirit wakes us up that we might understand the Gospel and believe that we might be made new, given new life. No one can do that apart from God doing that. And God does that. And when he does that, he declares us as innocent, even though we're guilty. And it's not because he's swept things under the rug or he's overlooked the sin that we've committed. No, he's dealt with it. See, Paul, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, he would say that God made him who knew no sin. That's Jesus. We just saw that in Paul's sermon here. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange that takes place. And Jesus takes what we deserved, death, the wrath of God because of sin, and God is just in bringing his wrath towards sin as we looked at a few weeks ago. And in exchange, because Jesus took our place and then he rose from the dead we get the new type of life that he offers. And before God, we are declared as innocent, undeserving of it. Not a single person ever born deserved it. No one in this room or any room that you will ever sit in did anything to convince God that they were worthy of that. Because before God, all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But God is central in our salvation. Not only did he bring about the Savior who was needed, not only did he raise him up, but he also is central in providing this for us so that through Christ we find forgiveness of sins. And then he gives a warning to these people. He says, watch out, verse 40, then that what is spoken about the prophets does not happen to you. And here's what they said. Verse 41. Look, you scoffers. Be amazed and perish, for I am doing a work in your days. This is God speaking. I am doing a work in your days, a work you would never believe, even if someone tells you. And Paul is looking at these Jewish people and these God-fearing Gentiles, and he's saying, don't be like this. Don't let this be true of you. That even though God is working in your days, that he is doing something, that you're not going to believe it, even if you hear it. Don't be found in that group. Verse 42 is, Paul and Barnabas were going out, so now the sermon's done. That was the Sabbath day. As they're going out, the people were urging them to speak about these things on the next Sabbath. Listen, when God is center, when, when God is center, and we understand that God is center in his purposes, 
that is history, when we understand that God is central in his promise, that is the gospel, when we understand that God is central in his provision, that is our salvation, that does something to us when we listen, when we hear about it. It stirs something up in us. And it leaves us wanting to know more. It leaves us having, having drank something, but wanting more of what we just drank. You ever been there? Took a sip of something and you're like, I have more of that. Yeah. They couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't get enough. So they ask him, speak about these things next week. We're going we're gonna to skip a few verses. Go to verse 44. So the next week comes along. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city assembled together to hear the word of the Lord. When God is center at the message that is being proclaimed, people want to hear that. Like we, we talk about in church culture and we talk about in maybe motivational speaking culture, you got to build people up. You got to inspire people. And look, there's some value in that, but there's a lot of emptiness in that too. Because people aren't built up if you don't tell them the truth. I was talking to a friend of mine this week at, at, at Tinker, and he was talking about, we we're talking about counseling techniques and how he handles certain things and how I handle certain things. And we were talking about how one of the techniques he's used, and he says, you know what? Sometimes I just cut them off. And I just interrupt them in the middle of their story and say, I already know what your problem is. And he'll tell them exactly what, what he thinks the problem is. And it's real confrontational. And it's right up in your face. And he was telling me a story of that where he used that kind of technique and he told them flat out, your, your problem is you. You're too caught up on yourself. That's your problem. And he was telling this, um, this, this 20-year-old girl this. Now, I'm not going to stereotype generations because some of, some of you who aren't 20 <laughs> might fit in that stereotype anyway, right? You would think that they would walk away crying, walk away offended, walk away going, I don't need that. I want to find someone who's going to tell me that I, I, I sing really well, even though everybody on American Idol tells me I don't. God bless that generation. <laughs> Instead, she says, I, I want to come back. No one has spoken to me like that. And she knew in him being direct with her, you're telling me what I need to hear. No one's told me that. When God is central, people want to hear that. Even if it stings, even if it offends, even if you don't like it, don't want to believe it, when God is central, people respond. Something is stirred up. And these people, they understood that. They were responding to that. So then the whole, almost the whole town gathers together. Verse 45. But when the Jews, now that's the Jewish religious leaders. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying by reviling him. So they couldn't handle all this attention that's being put on Paul because you've got these Jewish religious leaders who are supposed to be teachers and respected teachers and then you've got this traveling itinerant people who are, who are there for one week and they stand up and speak and people want to know more. But nobody ever did that for them. And they're just responding the same way they did with Jesus. They're jealous. Because when God's not central... In your thinking, in your life, it bothers you when you don't get the attention. It bothers you when you're not getting the glory. It bothers you when things don't go your way. It bothers you when you're not central. 
verse 46, both Paul and Barnabas replied courageously, it was necessary to speak the word of God to you first, to the Jewish people first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we are now turning to the Gentiles. So one of the main purposes Luke is telling us this story is how Paul and Barnabas were made apostles to the Gentiles. How that message was so intently focused on non-Jewish people. Here it is. Rejection by the Jews. Paul says, we're turning now to the Gentiles. God is central in our salvation. Take a look. Verse 47. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. This is Paul speaking now, quoting some scripture. I was appointed to you to be a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul understands that God is using him to bring the gospel to all people. God is central in our salvation. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and praise the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed for eternal life believed. So the word of the Lord was spreading through the entire region. God is central in our salvation. You and my salvation, if you've trusted in Christ, is from God start to finish. You and I add nothing. Long before you and I were ever created, long as Paul would say in another letter, before the foundations of the world, your salvation is from God from start to finish. God is central. But here's what happens. When we start to elevate ourselves in our salvation, when we start to, to give ourselves a little credit, we completely disregard what God has done for us in Christ. Now, I know that verse bothers some of you. Look it up in any translation you want to look it up. Some of them are going to be even stronger. If you want to visit about it, I would love to visit about it. But there it is, a tension that cannot be resolved. And the moment you and I try to resolve this tension of how God can, can be so sovereign, is the word, and yet still hold us responsible, how does that fit together? We can't reconcile that tension because if we do, we're going to tip the scale in a direction that is not biblical. And the whole word of the Lord was spreading through the entire region. And here's the result. Verse 50. The Jews incited the God-fearing women, so they still can't handle this. All these people are responding. They're believing. They incite God-fearing women. So these are the women who were worshiping as Jews. They're of high social standing, so they have a lot of influence. They're prominent men of the city. He says they stirred them up so that the persecution against Paul and Barnabas started, and they threw them out of their region. They couldn't handle it. Verse 51. So after they shook the dust off their feet, which is a gesture they would do, it's like us today. No blood on my hands. I've done what I can do. I've been faithful. That's what it's like. They shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and they moved on to Iconium. Last verse here. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. When God is central, don't miss this. There's joy. When God is central... There's joy because joy comes from God. If I'm center, there's no joy. None. Temporary happiness, maybe you would call it joy, but it's temporary. It ain't going to last. When God is center, there's joy. So I put the question before us again. Who or what is most central in your life? 
think this is one of our biggest issues as individuals. Maybe even one of our biggest hindrances as a local church is to maybe why God's not doing some of the things he might want to do. When we start to center ourselves on us, and listen, that's just sin. I mean, we can call it whatever we want, but that's just what sin does. It's how it impacts us. Takes the glory from God, puts it on us, puts it on something else. Takes the glory off of God. When we start to make ourselves central and we don't have God as central in our lives in the way that we think, in the way that we understand who He is and who we are, in the way that He has worked in our life, is working in our life, is working in the world. When when we don't have God as central, it causes all kinds of dysfunction and sin is allowed to fester in our lives and our hearts because I was never meant to be the center of anything. God designed me to worship Him. God designed me to bring glory to Him. And anything I do less of that is falling short. I think when we fail to put God at the center in our marriages and we start getting centered on ourselves, that's when marriages start to operate in dysfunction and sin because we're both looking out for ourselves. I need to get my needs met and then I'll meet yours. That's me-centered. Instead of, God, I I find all my needs in you. I find my joy in you. So that I might then love her or him. The way you would have me love her or him. I think when we don't have God as central in in our lives, in the way we think, in the way we believe, in the way we understand God, in our parenting. What starts happening in our parenting is instead of God being central, our kids become central. And that's a mess. Because everybody knows kids aren't meant to be central. You think you are when you're a kid. But when you get older and you parent your kids, you're going, this is my house. You eat because I put the food on the table. You sleep because I bought that bed for you. You have a roof over your head because I pay for that. Right? Kids are not central. They're not meant to be. But we give them that power. And we let our lives center around them when instead of asking God, how would I parent these kids toward you? That's God-centered. How, God, do you want me to point them towards you so that they would not learn to find their satisfaction in just this meal, but the one who provided the meal? That they would not just stop at finding their joy in this experience of fun, but the one who allowed it and enabled it? How do we point them toward God? God's central. When we fail to keep God at center in our salvation, when we start to think, I did something, I wasn't that bad. Oh, there's that clock. We must have had a power outage this week. I try to stay on top of that. Just pause. If I start to see you guys looking at that clock over the next couple weeks, I'm taking it down. God is center. And when we fail to keep him at center in our salvation, we become arrogant, prideful, boastful, entitled. And we fail. We fail to bring glory to God as God has designed and intended us to do. Some of you this morning, you've been living your life with you at the center and you realize today it's not working. Maybe you wouldn't have put it that way, but it's not working. And you're looking for something different. I think today God is saying to you, it was never meant to be the way you're making it. I designed you to bring glory to me. And it starts with making things new in your life. 
taking someone who is spiritually dead but trying to live a spiritually dead life before a, 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 a God who is living, you can't do it in your own strength. But God, through Christ, because he raised Christ from the dead, offers the same type of life. And when that life comes in and you are brought to life spiritually, all of a sudden, things will start to change for you. They may not all improve, but you're going to find my desires have changed. I never wanted to know God, but today, it's like these people tell me more. I want to know more about God. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about what God has done. How can I make him central? And so that's what I want to do as we wrap this up this morning. Is let's go before the Lord. Who or what is most central in your life? Maybe the prayer this morning is, God, show me if I have allowed something else or if I have put something else as central in my heart, in my life, the way I think, the way I believe, the way I speak. God, show me. And then if he shows you, repent. Confess that as sin. See it as God sees it. Turn from that and believe in Christ. Continue to live your life trusting in Him, not those other things. And, and others of you this morning, maybe it's God, hey, I've been living my life focused on me this morning. God, I want that to change. Through Christ, that changes when you believe in Him. So let's go before the Lord. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives You're the center of the universe Everything was made in you Jesus Breath of every living thing Everyone was made for you You hold everything together Oh Christ, be the center of our lives Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives would you give us a bigger vision of who you are that we might see you clearly accurately that we might see us more clearly more accurately that we might respond to you more appropriately bringing you the glory in all that we do and all that we are not competing with you because we will lose because you are a bully but because God we can never bring the type of glory that you alone have to ourselves or anything else so it's God where we have put other things as central lead us into repentance teach us more about your love for us and how that starts in you and then God may we be used by you to go and share that with others because people need to hear it's not about you and that's good news so God as we depart from here would you mark us with your mercy pray that in Jesus name
Amen. Amen. Hey, before I dismiss you, if you need additional prayer or anything, we'll have some folks available. So if you're on the prayer team, would you just make your way up here as soon as we dismiss? Just let them know what you'd like prayer about. They'd be glad to pray with you. All right, with that, we'll see you guys next week.